Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press football podcast supported by FNB Channel Islands with you every Monday for the rest of the local season. Coming up, we'll reflect on a significant weekend at the top of the FNB Prio League. Another win for St. Martins, points dropped by Rovers. Is it now Saints' title to lose? Also, almost exactly 10 years on from Guernsey FC getting the green light to enter English football, we'll hear from the Green Lions chairman Mark Letissier on the key backing which changed the face of the local game. And I don't know about the guys, but I've definitely got something to say about the news of the long-talked-about, long-feared European Super League. Uh, I'm Tony Kerr, and alongside me as ever, I've got Rob Batiste. How do? And Gareth Neprevo. Hiya, Tony. Uh, great to see you, chaps. Uh, let's start with the real football. Uh, four games in the Prio League this weekend. Uh, St. Martins beat Manza 4-1 to close the gap to leaders Rovers to just two points with three games in hand. And that's after Kevin Gillies' side could only draw 0-0 with North at Port Swath. Elsewhere, Sylvans already out of the title race were thumped 4-0 by bottom side Rangers. More on that extraordinary result to come. Uh, Bells, meanwhile, beat Alderney 4 one and will now be eyeing third place ever more expectantly. Uh, Gareth, let's start with the game at the track. You were down there. Manza 2, St. Martins 4. Saints looking like champions, aren't they? Yeah, it was um, it was more convincing than perhaps the scoreline suggests, Tony. They um, they were very efficient, as St. Martins generally are. Um, 3-0 up after 47 minutes. They were never in danger of losing from that point on. Um yeah, they um, they just seem to be getting better week by week, actually, Saints. They were pretty impressive. I mean, it wasn't the most entertaining first quarter of the game, but the, once um, Danny Hale put them ahead after that, they, they just grew in confidence. And um, just as a word for Danny Hale, he, he took his goals really well. I mean, the first one was like a breakaway from halfway line, and he was up against uh, a standing goalkeeper, although Mark Real is a very capable goalkeeper. Um but he, he just slotted that one past him and, and his next goal was just um, a 20-yard blockbuster, really. It's um, one of those ones where you see the guy lining up a shot he's got the time to do it and you're thinking, this could go over the karting hut. But it went, it flew into the top corner and no goalkeeper in the Premier League would have got anywhere near it. It was, it was a fantastic strike. And yeah, after the break... Um, John John Peace did tell me afterwards that at half time he hates this 2 0 scoreline because it should, sounds comfortable, but it's not always comfortable. But they scored two minutes after the interval, and that was pretty much game over from then on. Oh, yeah, we, we, we spoke about Manza last week uh, and their chances of, of perhaps yeah, causing St. Martins a few problems, but did they look a bit leggy? Did they have their full strength side out? Well, no, they were. They certainly missed Marlon Jardim up front. Um, just without him, they, they haven't got a focal point at the top. I mean, Craig Young sort of started out pretty much their furthest player forward, but I mean, they, they had a decent side out on paper, but it's mainly sort of creative players with no one playing, no natural number nine and that they really sort of lacked up front because of that. Um, they put together a few decent sort of moves here and there. And, um, but, yeah, they, they scored twice, one of which was a was an absolute gift from St. Martins. So, um, yeah, they never really looked like pulling off uh, the sort of result that I'm sure Rovers would have hoped they might have been able to. Yeah, let's talk about Rovers. Rob, you were down at Port Swath, uh, a goalless draw against North, and some choice words from, from Kevin Giddies afterwards. Uh, you're talking about... Uh, North's tactics. He said the second half, North had a tactic of just waste as much time and make it as unfootball-like as they could. And uh, Ross fell for it big time. Why he didn't speed them up, I can't understand. I can't get my head around it. Uh, yeah, not a happy man. No, but um, 
I'm not sure really where he's coming from, to be honest. I thought um, Rovers, if they've got anybody to blame, just blame themselves. They could have been 4 0 up in the first 20 minutes easily. They were, they really came out very, very fast, played some cracking football in the first, uh, say, in those first few minutes, and should have just put the game to bed. But they contrived to miss chance after chance. North gradually got a foothold in the game, and in the second half. Rovers really went off the boil and really badly missed um, Finn Whitmore up front. Um, and whilst, of course, North sort of dug in and, and probably did spoil, spoil the game to a certain extent, uh, North Rovers have probably done the same, exactly the same thing if they'd been in North's position, which is uh, of a team, a squad, I should say, which is decimated by injuries, heavily reliant on youngsters and is scrap, you know, just scrambling for every single point they can get at the moment. Um, no, I've got little sympathy with Rovers uh, on this occasion because they should have won the game early on. How do you see it now? Are they done and dusted? Is it, is it Saints coronation? Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, now, it seems to me um, the, the decisive thing for me in terms of St Martin's really sort of putting their foot down and, and, and coming to the fore is the return on a regular basis of Danny Hale. Um, he was sort of missed most of the, the start of the season or he was a frequent absentee and consequently Saints didn't have much of a cutting edge and didn't weren't scoring many goals. Since he's returned and he's playing game after game, he is he's, he lights that attack up and um, they're a far, far better side with Danny in it. Yeah, a, good, a really good player. Yeah, over the last few weeks and ahead of the the restart of the season, we kind of talked up Rovers' goal scoring, uh, um, you know, ability. Sort of maybe feared that St Martin's wouldn't be able to match that, and it's kind of played out almost the entirely opposite way. Yeah, but I don't think Rovers have um, lost the ability to score. Um, obviously, losing Finn Whitmore is a blow. I think it's just football being football. You get through these periods where you, you know. The goals, the goals fly, fly in from left, left, right, and centre. And other times, you just, you know, you're still creating the chances. You're not an inferior player. Just, it's just one of those things. They, they, the keeper makes great saves. You're putting the ball over the bar. Or as on the case um, this weekend against North, I mean, there were two or three attempts blocked on the line. Um, you thought, well, they're about, they, they must score, and they just couldn't get it over, over, over that, over that line. But um, now I think Rovers have had a good season. They shouldn't complain. And um, well, I think they'll be second best to Saints now. Yeah, and you mentioned Danny Haley is a player who's sort of been in, you know, in and around the conversation in terms of representative football. When that comes back, given his level of commitment at the moment and the impact he's making, should he be a more serious part of that conversation? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, a few not that many years ago, Tony Vance was telling me that, you know he had this great kid coming through called Danny Hale. He was the next Dave Rioi. Um Danny has flattered and deceived to a certain extent. He has been a very impressive player from time to time. But I think um, island managers like um, all GFC managers would want more from him. To be honest, he's he's um, for whatever reason I don't know. Um, he's no, he's never sort of nailed down a long run of um, appearances, and with that, his fitness isn't perhaps what it should be. But um, it's down to him, really. I think if you if he plays week in week out and really raises his fitness levels in the future, he's good enough. There's no doubt to to feature at that Marathi level. But um, as I say, whether we'll see it or not, time will tell. Yeah, and Gareth, you've obviously seen him a couple of times over the last few weeks. Does he look like a player who's kind of relishing these opportunities now and and, and relishing the football? 
Yeah, um, I think he, he suits the position he's been playing recently. He's been basically playing the, the right-hand side of um, of Saints' attack. Dom Yeoman's obviously the focal point there, and I think just the nature of Dom's ability is he, he takes a lot of the defence's attention. And um, certainly with his first goal at the weekend, Danny, he... he basically had a free run of it because people were, I mean, Dom won the ball and then all the defence sort of home him on what Dom's doing. And it was a simple pass and he just had to finish it. But yeah, just give him, give Danny that sort of space to run into. That's when he's at his best. He's running at people, uh, running beyond the last defender. Um, certainly, I mean, like I say, his second strike on Saturday was something pretty special. Um, he, I don't think he'll be doing that every week, but um, he, he seems to be playing with a lot of confidence at the moment. And I think that just comes from playing in a Saints side, which is obviously growing in confidence and they've got their target and they, they know what they need to do. And, and he's certainly uh, relishing his uh, part of that. Well, let's switch attention to St Andrews. Uh, a really big win for Rangers there, 4-0, as we said, against Sylvans. Uh, Rob, and it came against the backdrop as well of, of a bit of uncertainty and a bit of turmoil off the pitch. Yeah, from what I understand is that um, Darren Osier is no longer the um, Rangers' first team coach. Um, um, he hopefully is still involved with the club, but they've um, he has stepped down te- certainly temporarily and Rex Williams has taken charge. This has something to do, I believe, with um, a safeguarding issue. Um um, and in, in the dressing room, and some complaints being made about something might have been said. I don't think. I think it's a bit of a sounds like a bit of a storm in a teacup to me. But um, whatever, um, Rangers certainly responded on the pitch, um, which they have done from time to time um, this season. Um, Sylvan's arrived without Kyle Smith up front and Jacob Fallais at the back, and Rangers apparently, well. Um, were very good value for their win. Um, Martin Degare, the Sylvans coach, contacted me later that day and um, said that he was made it, wanted to make it really clear that Sol- um, Rangers fully deserved their win and, and were very impressive. They've got some good kids right across the side. Um, Luke Ashley is a good player. Um, Freddie Walker and Ben Solway at the back. But the player I like, and I think if he... Um, Gets a bit stronger next season is the young Lorcan Gallagher in midfield. Um, very, very good prospect there. And um, I hope Rangers manage to sort everything out. And because um, I would like to, I would not see a good man like Darren Ozier, who's put an awful lot into um, the club over a couple of decades at least, um, leave um, under a bit of a cloud. They're still bottom Rangers, uh, 10 points to their name now, three behind Alderney with a game in hand on them, uh, three behind Velrec, uh, although Velrec have played three games uh, themselves less than Rangers. So a bit of a, bit of a scrap to see who finishes bottom now. Uh, I think Rangers will still finish bottom. I'm sure Rec um, will pick up sufficient points over the rest of the season to to just keep their heads above um, that bottom bottom spot. But um, as, as I've told a few people this year, Rangers are not as bad as their position suggests. They've taken some wallopings and their heads have gone down a few times um, when they have fallen behind. Uh, but they are, they've got some real promising talent now. I just hope it's guided properly going forward and they can stay together over the next couple of seasons. Because if they do... They won't be bottom, that's for sure. And they go to Velrec on Wednesday night. So an interesting one there. Another midweek game, St Martin's going to North. So I think there's every chance that Sam Murray may well have turned to the um, North attack for that game, which is <laughs> which is badly needed. Um, they really have missed him. He's a terrific centre-forward. And um, 
Um, I'd be great to see a, a battle between him and likes of Chris Lanieri um, and possibly even Jamie Dodd on, on Wednesday night. Um, and um, North, you can't rule them out. They are, they've been digging in. They're nothing, they're nothing exciting at the moment. But given their problems, you know, um, the odd draw here will, you know, I'm sure is, will cheer them. Four matches to look forward to at the weekend, all on Saturday. Uh, Manza host Alderney, uh, North host Rec. It's Rangers against St Martins uh, and Sylvans host Bells. Well, let's leave the Premier League for now. Coming up next, we'll look back at the the very start of the Guernsey FC journey, 10 years on uh, from the Green Lions, getting the green light to join English football. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Now, it is almost exactly 10 years. In fact, last week marked 10 years um, since Guernsey FC got the green light to join English football, the FA uh, giving them the nod. And of course, we all know where it went from there. Uh, first game against AFC Wimbledon down at Foots Lane and uh, two or three really exciting uh, promotion-filled uh, seasons uh, and the, the rest, as they say, is history. Rob, it's been a hell of a journey. A bit of time now, given the fact that, the, that Guernsey FC haven't been in action in the, in the league this year, of course, um, to reflect on the journey so far. Uh, we'll hear from Mark Letissier in a moment, but, but when you think back to, um, to 10 years ago and, the, and that, that moment of getting the green light, from your perspective, was, was it a, a, an exciting moment in Guernsey football, one that, that had you looking forward? Of course. Um, behind the scenes, I'd been happy to help out in trying to secure some sponsorship for the Green Lions um, by setting up some meetings with Bob Dutnell and Sporting Bet at the time. And as Tony, as Mark Letiche has openly admitted, if it hadn't been for Sporting Bet's um, entrance into the um, into these into the scene um, and willingness to back. The green lines at the start. It may, it probably will never have happened. Um, it's been a fantastic success for the, the, the club. There's, I know there have been a lot of moans and groans, particularly in the early years, from the die-hard football fans who saw their club's um, influence wane a little. But there's no doubt it's it's taken Guernsey football forward, and and it will as long as it lasts. Well, let's hear what the Guernsey FC chairman, uh, Mark Letissier, uh, has to say about those early days of the club and particularly uh, you know, the key moments and the key discussions and the key backing that made it all happen right at the start. When did you start talking about GFC as such? Uh, in 2010, um, we started to talk about that after um, uh, the PRIO side, the PRIO representative side had uh, won the National League Systems Cup. And um, uh, I was chairman of the GFA at the time, and um, we were going off to Croatia to represent England in the uh, European Nations Cup. And um, it was uh, those discussions uh, started off between um, Tony Vance and Steve Jusniff and myself um, to see if it would be possible. Uh, that was after uh, I'd got a call. Uh, from yourself <laughs> to uh, to go and see uh, a potential sponsor who wanted to uh, to see it happen. Uh, at that time, um, I was actually looking to uh, to step away from football, and um, I was looking to uh, to retire from the GFA as, as the chairman at the time. Uh, and then I got the call from you to go and um, uh, and to meet. 
Uh, sporting bat, Bob Dotnell, a sporting bat. He's still a season ticket holder today. And um, so we went, uh, we went along and had a chat. And um, uh, and he, he he really dangled the carrot in, in, in front of me, and um, and that was it really. Um, when somebody done that, uh, does that to you, uh, gives you an opportunity to do something that nobody else has ever done, and you think that it's possible. Um, uh, that that really uh, it did inspire me, and um, so therefore went away and um, as I say, spoke with um, with Tony and Steve. Uh, and over the next few months, we uh, we, we put something together and realised that actually it was um, it was going to be achievable. And um, so the players are, are obviously have done exceptionally well um, out in Croatia as well. And so really, uh, they were um, they wanted more, and they were hungry. They were young. They were all single. Um, and uh, that made a big difference as well. So, uh, you know, we went through all the right channels um, uh, with the FA and uh, got everybody on board as we as we went along, the best that we could. And uh, uh, we 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 were um, we managed to convince the uh, the FA League committee and also the Combined Counties League um, that it would be a good idea for us to uh, to come and join the uh, National League system. Was there anything? At any time during the stage, it threatened to scupper it. A lot of it was done uh, uh, not behind closed doors, uh, but at any time something could trip you up, and that could be the end of it. So it was very much uh, we were trying to do one small thing at a time um, uh, over the course of uh, probably five or six months. Uh, and and at, at the start, we thought that it, we may well be able to uh, involve all the clubs um, uh, and that was a way of trying to, to get them on board but as time went on we realised that you know the, uh, the amount of time and effort they put into running their own clubs to be involved in a, in a project like that it probably wasn't going to be um, uh, achievable really. Did the FA, um, were they on board almost from day one do you think? Or did they take a lot of persuading? They did take persuading because it's it's something new, never happened before. So that you know they were going out on a on a limb uh, as well. The 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 league committee. Um, so you know we we uh, managed to uh, to get some support behind the scenes uh, to help us put our case, and uh, and I think that that helped enormously because um, you know they were setting the scene before we even got there. I think they were they were very impressed with uh, what we showed them, what we uh, what we thought that we could achieve, how we were going to go about things, um, and and I think what helped was we put ourselves in their position before we went, and uh, so we uh, we we said to ourselves, what questions would we be asking if we were in their position, and. Uh, and then uh, once we had the questions, we found uh, a way of answering them. And, and some of them, uh, those answers and those questions we didn't uh, initially think of. So, uh, so we had to change things and, uh, and um, we had to allow for those as well. So uh, uh, I think that's what helped that we guess what questions they were going to answer. We, we made sure that we had the right answers and that we were able to back it up as well. If Sporting Bet hadn't come on board at that early stage or almost volunteered themselves, would it have happened? No. It wouldn't have happened. No question. It would never have happened. That was Guernsey FC chairman Mark Letissier uh, speaking to Rob.
I mean, guys, just if you look back at the 10 years of, of Guernsey FC, clearly they were trailblazers in this area. FC Isle of Man, Jersey Bulls took a long time to follow their lead, clearly took a lot of effort to get it off the ground and it could quite easily have not happened. How different do you think local football would be if Guernsey FC hadn't begun? Without, without Guernsey FC, undoubtedly the local league competition would, be, would have been stronger in terms of the quality of the players around, but I'm sure it wouldn't have had the competitiveness which we've enjoyed over the last five or six years for sure. You know, we've had... The game, the, the game is a far better product these days. It, you turn up week in, week out. There, you're not, you know, there are the results aren't gimmies anymore. Whereas pre-GFC, we were getting big scores on a regular basis, one or two really, really dominant teams, and it wasn't particularly exciting for Guernsey football. Um, GFC has allowed young players to flourish. We've seen it time and again, good youngsters come through and they are better for it, as simple as that. And also, of course, we've had some fantastic support at Footslane on a regular basis. Uh, we've brought a whole new clientele into, into the game and it, it, it really has been a triumph. They've been fantastically organised from day one and they still are now. I think they'll be around for many, many years to come. Yeah, Gareth, clearly there was a bit of a shock to the system, of course, when, when Guernsey FC was formed. But do you feel like 10 years later, um, the, you know, the balance of local football has levelled out a bit and actually you know, the Premier League and Guernsey FC are, are sitting quite happily side by side? Yeah, I think now it, 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 it has found its place. I mean, certainly when, when GFC started or when it was first muted um, and there was some um, doubts about it in some quarters and there was a lot of... Um, talk about whether it should go ahead um sort of my argument for a gfc type uh, venture was the fact that other sports in guernsey were moving so far ahead of football football was stuck in a real stale rut because i mean i used to use um gary dodd the table tennis player as a bit of an example gary dodd was a decent footballer as a junior and i used to say to people what's he got to aim for the prio league or he can go and play his table tennis he, he was touring the world playing table tennis and football needed something to attract um, players, basically. I mean, you, you saw Ireland sides travelling to either national competitions or international competitions like, you know, the cricket team going all over the world. And football had nothing like that. And they just needed to be freshened up, basically. Um, whether GF, At the time, I did wonder whether GFC would be sustainable. Joining a, a league in, in England is a hell of a, hell of a commitment. Um, but they've made it work, and fair play to them for doing that. And like Rob says, now the Prio League, it, the standard might not be amazingly great, but it's competitive. And you turn up to Prio League games nowadays, you still don't know who's going to win games on a weekly basis. Um, so that that has to be good for for the attraction of local football. Um, without GFC having played for a year or so. I'm looking forward to see what sort of size crowds they get when they do come back because I think there's going to be a lot of people down Foots Lane because they can't wait to get back. I mean, they had a huge crowd just for their um, for their sort of Christmas charity thing, the old the old against the new. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's been it's worked out very well for local football, both GFC and the comp competitive nature of the Prio League. Well, we, yeah, we'll see what happens when Guernsey FC come back. I mean, all the signs are that, that things are moving in the right direction, and it. You know, it will happen come August. So, uh, yeah, an interesting summer ahead. Yeah, I'd be intrigued to see actually how the um, 
the, the, whole, the side looks when they do return, exactly which players will be still involved. I, I expect one or two will, will drop by the wayside and there'll be some youngsters coming through. There's some good kids coming, coming through the game. Whether they're right already to play at that level, I'm not sure. But um, Tony Vance, Steve Sharman, Colin Fallais, etc., they're, you know, they're good coaches and I'm sure the club is in safe hands. Before we go, chaps, let's just talk about uh, an issue that, that certainly got people a little bit excited, myself included. Of course, the news breaking yesterday that 12 European clubs, six of them English, um, would be signalling their intent to break away and join or set up a new uh, European Super League, as it's been coined. Um, confirmation coming late last night that that, that that was the case. Not all of the clubs tweeting it out on their own feeds. Not sure what that says about how proud they are to be doing it or what, you know, what they thought their fans would say. It's fair to say it's got people pretty riled up. It's got Whoa. you going, Tony, that's for sure. You haven't stopped all morning moaning about it. I couldn't sleep last night. Bristling I was. Um, what, you're a Chelsea fan, Rob. What's your view? Your, your, your team is one of these who's basically ripping up the, the very fabric of English football. Bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> no, seriously, um, I'm not at all surprised. It's been on the, in the pipeline for an awful long time. I think people are going bananas at the moment at the mere thought of it. Um, I think it's all been quite deliberately played out. They know they're going to... Sp- um, there was going to be a huge backlash. It's deliberately come out at this time ahead of the UEFA meeting. Um, I'm sure it will. There will be an agreement somewhere along the line, um, and there will be changes to the European Champions League setup for sure. Um, and they'll probably be very close to what these clubs want. Um, I, as I say, um, money talks all along in, in sport these days. We see it in every sport and um, it's, as I say, it's inevitable and I'm, I'm not at all surprised. We've heard some pretty impassioned stuff um, from Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville. He wasn't holding back. Gareth, as an Everton fan, you know, a fan of a club who, an ambitious club, but who will be completely shut out of the top tier. But, uh, but you won't be football. completely shut out, Tony. This is the thing. I think people are saying clubs will be shut out, but there will be promotion and relegation into it. It's like saying you can come to my party, but just you can't have any food or drink. Just stand in the corner. No, <laughs> I'm, sure that, I'm sure it won't be as severe as that. I don't know. Gareth, what do you think? Well, I'm, I'm not as impassioned about it as you are, Tony. I'm looking forward to your <laughs> closing arguments. But... Um, I just I I don't like the idea of basically I mean as, as much as Rob will say otherwise of basically a closed shop competition it just doesn't sit well with me at all um, it is it's about greed I suppose I think it's also got quite a lot of fear in it from those sides entering it I mean those sides that are entering certainly the English clubs. But you've got Man City who are basically guaranteed a Champions League place. The rest of them, nowadays, they, they aren't guaranteed anything. That's probably why they want this um, to happen. Um, it's, it is just all about money, isn't it? I'm, I'm not... 
um, so riled up by it that um, I'm going to go into a uh, passionate speech, unlike you. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about passionate speech, but yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely on the side of, of Gary Neville and the like. Uh, you know, I think it's a very, very sad moment. I'm sure it'll sort itself out, Tony. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Kerry Packer situation all those years ago in cricket when, when that when that news broke, it was hell. It really was hell to pay. Um, for cricket and they were going to do this they were going to ban players and all that sort of stuff and they did for a very short time but in no time at all both sides saw that they had to work together and money talked and I think the money will talk in this as well because I think these clubs can't achieve exactly what they want without having all the best clubs available to them and I think those clubs who have decided not to involve themselves at the moment will probably end up coming coming to the party eventually. I think it'll all sort itself out. I think out. There's, there's so many issues with this for me. I think fans have to come together at some point and say, actually, and this is coming from someone who, who doesn't have a season ticket to a Premier League club, who is a subscriber of one of the, the satellite you know, TV providers, but the fan is being asked to spend huge amounts of money on tickets, on merchandise. You've got to subscribe to at least three platforms now to to see the, your team play. And I know the pandemic has, has kind of has changed, has, has moved the needle slightly in terms of, of of broadcasting football. But yeah, I don't know. For me, someone this is the point where I think fans have to come together and just say, you know, enough is enough. Because yeah, where does it go next? Listen, this this ingordiciousness is endemic in football. Greed will always the the top clubs will always be greedy, and that's not going to stop. Whatever the the fans can kick can kick up as much stink as they like, but the attitudes won't change at the top. They will. And I believe the fans, unfortunately, will keep paying. They will keep paying because they love it too so much. What's the love, though? Well, at that point, what's the love? Oh, I agree. We, we, I yeah. agree. It's not. It, it, it'll be different. Well, but, but sport has a habit of changing. We've seen it change in many years, many instances over the years. Like, for example, I can't stand the the effects of the Indian Premier League. I hate it. The the, the thought of it, but it happens. The game goes on. Football will adjust. Cricket, yeah, cricket's administrators are probably pleased that the uh, the heat's been taken off them for a moment because uh, yeah, I think they've got a hugely proud record. For, for me, yeah, it's it's got to be a turning point. That what we'll end up with is just a stream of of just mediocre content, isn't it? It's just content, and people are just happy to kind of you know plug themselves into that and let it wash over them, and there'll be yeah, absolutely no. Um, you know, no regard paid to anything other than the bottom line, which is uh, which yeah. is desperately sad. Do you know what though? I was lying in bed, yeah, fast awake in the middle of the night last night, bristling about this. But one thing that I actually thought about, you know, um, obviously been running through the the top one hundred um, domestic footballers in Guernsey history, which we're getting very close to. Well, so very close. We're on the verge of the top ten. The uh, the top ten begins tomorrow. Um, but I just think that I think we're very lucky in the islands and I'll be prepared to be corrected here Rob if you know I think you've you've got some history lessons to dish out about the north of the late 1800s um but I think we're very lucky that that we are able to enjoy a version of football that is to a certain extent uh kind of premised on old-fashioned ideals that that actually 
it's players playing for the right reasons, playing to represent their, you know, whether it's whether it's in the Premier League, represent the club or at island level, you know, represent their island in a Marathi, uh, you know, pulling on a Guernsey FC shirt. But, yeah, I think we're we're lucky to have that that product, if you like, the one that's been completely corrupted at the top level to, to enjoy. Yeah, but I don't think you can really compare professional football, to be honest, with local amateur football, Tony. Um, and a degree of professionalism has always existed in Guernsey football. If you go right back to the 1890s, North Northerners were cock-a-hoop. They thought they were the, the, big, the big deal at the time, so much so that they decided to pull out the, of the Premier League and set up their own competition, the Stranger Cup, when they were com- which was competed for by several of their own teams. They felt they didn't need the rest. Um, they came back into the, into the fold and sooner rather than later. The, it seems that the local leagues needed North. They, they had, had discussions and in no time at all, William Stranger, who was the man behind it, all the fuss, ended up president of the Guernsey Football Association, one of the most revered people ever in local football. And in the, in the 20s and the 30s, when Rangers and North were the big kingpins, it was quite well known that people were putting money in people's boots to play for these clubs or giving them jobs. It was, it was a degree of professionalism. And the t- clubs who couldn't afford, to, couldn't afford to do that sort of things weren't as successful. Um, it, the temptation to... Um, to, 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 to buy players and buy success has always been there, even in the local, in, even in the local game. Um, um, it's sad what's happening, but as I say, sport sold itself a long, long time ago, and I'm not really surprised about where we are in, in the British and the European game. Uh, anyway, well, let's, let's leave it there, because, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, Before you start lost, throwing lost things around. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, let's leave it there then. No. Uh, yeah, a few games to look forward to this week. We'll be back uh, next Monday with a recap of all the latest local football action. Yeah, do keep an eye out in the paper uh, over the next week or so as the top 10 in uh, Rob's uh, top 100 against the footballers list uh, is revealed. And we'll have a special podcast for you, uh, so keep your ears peeled uh, on that one. Uh, of course, follow us on Twitter at GSY Press Sport, on Instagram at GSY Press Sport. And uh, leave us a rating or a review if you can. Thanks, chaps. Cheers. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony.